Victimhood is the, the biggest epidemic we have right now. Not everyone starts out at, at an equal starting block, but you do have control over your responses and your reactions, and no one is in control of your life but you. Having the courage to get out there and fail, and redefining failure. Failure is not an indictment of your character. This warrior mindset, it's not gonna insulate you from hardship, but it prepares you to react or respond in a positive way. I think with age, wisdom, and maturity, realize that moderation is the uh, key. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, you are in for a very inspiring episode today. Mike Sorelli is just so incredible and so encouraging and motivating when it comes to being a true warrior in your life. Reading his book, The Everyday Warrior, really made me want to take my game to the next level. And we talk about so many things in today's episode that I am very passionate about. Things like why self-care is not selfish, how to combat the victimhood epidemic and actually take agency over your life, the concept of Machiavellianism and do the bad guys sometimes win? Yes, they do. The difference between a fixed versus growth mindset, the role of planning in life. You guys know I am all about planning. Love of action and apathy, and so much more. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. There will be a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. Those will be at melanieavalon.com slash everydaywarrior. And there will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, I have Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And then check out my Instagram, find the Friday announcement post. And again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. If you are enjoying the show, the absolute best way to support it is to subscribe and or write a brief review in Apple Podcasts. It helps so much more than most people realize. So thank you so much in advance for that. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, Spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal Spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that Spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking Spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. 
So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or algae and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with. And to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body. So it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque. It can help alleviate pain and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, 
their vitamin C serum. They have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences. And I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a band of beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 percent back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally, completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Mike Sorelli. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I'm about to have. You know, I'm excited when I record a little bit of video because it's a rarity for me, but I just simply had to meet today's guest on video because I feel like I already know him. He is a great friend, colleague, fellow SEAL with somebody that my audience is probably familiar with, which is Dr. Kirk Parsley. I've had him on the show I think like four times now. So I'll put links to that in the show notes. That's a lot of good stuff on sleep is usually the topic for those shows. But I am here today with his dear friend, Mike Sorelli, who is just get prepared for epic motivation of all motivations. He does so many things. So like I mentioned, he is a Navy SEAL. He also is the host of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior series. It's a a podcast series. The Everyday Warrior is his thing, which speaking of, he has a new book out called The Everyday Warrior, a no-hack practical approach to life. Friends, I read this book and I said the word inspiring already. It is very inspiring. We're going to dive deep into it, but it just really goes into all the things that a person can do in life to be a warrior. And by warrior, I don't necessarily mean, you know, Navy SEAL level, but just a warrior in your own everyday life, taking agency. I'm excited to talk about that agency for your actions, the characteristics of perseverance and achieving goals and finding your tribe and just so many things we can talk about. It doesn't even end there. Mike also has a documentary he's involved with coming out soon. It is about the 777 Expedition, so I'm sure we will talk about that. He's also involved in, I mean, a lot of other stuff like philanthropic work. What am I leaving out? <laughs> There's so many things. What's your like main? What's your like main thing? People ask me what I do for a living. 
I look at my wife, Jordan, and she's like, just do your best. And I say, I'm entrepreneurial because, you know, I've got a very professional consulting firm on leadership development and executive search, placing uh, high-performing individuals into C-suite or general management positions. And then you've got this side where we go and jump out of airplanes into Mount Everest with all my buddies. I I don't want to put a title on it because it's funny. A buddy and I just wrote an article for Fox News, which we had a title called A Return to American Exceptionalism, A Call to Do Hard Things. And they changed the title and say, two ex-Navy SEALs you know, know how to fix America. And we're like, well, first off, we don't know how to fix America. We're just saying this. But like, SEAL becomes the first tagline when you're, you're introduced. And I, I just don't need taglines anymore. I, hopefully people are like, he was just a fun guy to hang around and was always experimenting with new things. I love that so much. I've struggled with that as well, like the one title to like encompass you. And it's funny, like entrepreneur is a nice title. Like it does encompass a lot of things, but I never felt like an entrepreneur. I got an article in entrepreneur and then I was like, well, I guess I have to embrace that title now. We were just talking offline before this about how like in today's world, you can do so many things that you couldn't necessarily do before with the internet and social media. Oh, we can talk about social media because you talk about that in your book, building a platform. And I'm just grateful that we can actually reach so many people now through methods like podcasting like we're doing right now. So, okay. I have so many questions for you. I'm going to turn my video off <laughs> for for listeners because they know I, I think better when I can't see myself, but I'm glad we got to capture this beautiful image and your amazing background. So, okay. Well, to start things off, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but your personal story, which you do talk about in your book, but what did lead you to what you're doing today? I'm also super curious. It's funny. Like I know Kirk so well and we've talked for hours and hours and hours, but we never really talked about his SEAL experience to any you know, great extent. I'm just so curious what that experience is like. I mean, because when people think hear seal, I think they think like Greek god, legend, mythology, like stuff that's not even possible for the quote normal human being. So what is that like? Well, first, you know, Kirk, Kirk, in, in we've had this conversation. He he always underplays, undercuts himself. He's like, hey, I was a seal, but not that type of seal. I didn't see combat. It was simply timing. He, he came in, I think, in the late 80s, even though he looks like he's in his 40s, handsome devil. You know, he just was in during the 90s when they weren't at war. But, you know, he tells stories and I just laugh my ass off. It was a different generation of SEALs. They had some fun. But for him to go on and become a doctor and then return and be really the West Coast doctor to the SEAL teams and, 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 and take care of all those guys coming back from combat, he did a lot more than I did. We are definitely not Greek gods. We're humans. You know, people often make or or their their perceptions are shaped about the SEALs or the military, especially if they didn't serve by Hollywood. I mean, as a young, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old watching those movies, that's that's what I thought the military was like, is what I saw in the movies. And there are no Rambos. You put any one person on the ground by themselves in Iraq or Afghanistan or any other war. And they've got no support, the support of a tribe behind them. They're only going to last so long. So for me, you know, Melanie, I always like to say, and it, it drives everyone crazy. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I was never the fastest, the strongest, fastest swimmer, best shot, best skydiver. 
But man, I was part of a team that no matter what you tasked us with, we were going to find a way to achieve mission success. We didn't always get it right, but we usually got it done. And so I really liked the travel aspect of the military, whether it was the SEALs. And I actually started out in Marine Recon. Uh, I was a scout sniper. I loved those guys. You just put good people that all believe in a purpose and they know their why. And it's a, and they all are growth minded, which is to say a warrior mindset. It's amazing what you can do. And so I'm thankful for the brothers and the sisters that I served alongside and everything that they taught me has shaped and mentored me into the man uh, I am today. There's still a lot of work to do a lot. You talk to my wife, she would, she would, she would go on for days about all the things I need to fix and she's not wrong, but yeah, it's when people, if they want to know something, I'll say this. We, we felt that sense of tribe that 99.9% of people never feel. And well, Hey, my family's that way. We're really tight. Yeah, I get it. It's family. You don't have a choice, but you have a choice about who you surround yourself with and what communities you're a part of and the bonds, the homecoming, the belonging, the emotional intimacy and vulnerability amongst a group of men and women in combat is like no other experience out there. And I haven't experienced it in any close form in the private sector. And that, but that's also why we stood up Legacy Expeditions to almost get the band back together and go, go do hard things. In your book, you're talking about how really anybody can be a warrior. And you talk about the difference between a warrior versus necessarily a, quote, war fighter. I'm curious, with your experience with the SEALs, out of everybody who starts the program and then becomes a SEAL, do you know that percent? Yes. So I've seen a variety of figures, but it's roughly between 75 to 90% attrition rate, depending on, on circumstances. Roughly each class has about 250 young men who are all amazing individuals. And they usually graduate anywhere from 25 to, I think one class started with 250 and they graduated eight. So, you know, you bring up an interesting point. You have my gratitude that, to, to anyone who makes it through SEAL training. They've gone through something very difficult. They've shown something that you have to show in order to get into that community. Resilience, team ability, the no quit attitude, the warrior mindset. But as you mentioned, in my opinion, and I'm not saying I was a warrior, I strive to be. Not everyone was a warrior within the SEAL teams. Some of them were great war fighters, but some of them did lack character. And people want to paint you know, oh my God, that guy served six years in the SEALs. And then, hey, this guy served 20 years in the SEALs. There's a difference. Performance is not standard across the board. You have some SEALs who quite frankly are just not very good at their job. And then you have SEALs that are just awe-inspiring and and they're the top percentage of SEALs. I mean, Heraclitus, who's a pre-Ionian philosopher, and, and I wrote about it in the book. And this is a guy, you know, we're talking generations in a go in history, said on the battlefield, there's 100 warriors. 10 don't deserve to be there. 80 are basically targets. And then nine. God bless those nine for they make the battle. But one, one brings us home. So he just basically said that 10% of the 100 men are true warriors. And what I've seen is that percentage is pretty accurate. I mean, you look at Power's Law, which basically says, uh, in layman terms, an overwhelming majority of your outcomes are driven by a very small percentage of your workforce. 
Wow. Okay. So this is my question. So like, are people born, is that 10%? And then that ultimate 1% that brings you home, is that something we're born with? And if so, like, could anybody become that percent or not? I mean, so the nature versus nurture argument, I tend to put a percentage on it, like 90% nurture, 10% nature. Yes. Are we born with certain physiological characteristics that have been passed down within our DNA. Absolutely. Somebody's going to be 6'4". They, they put on muscle easier than other people. They metabolize fat. Yes, that, that exists. But that only takes you to a certain point. And the interesting thing I did enjoy about you know the basic reconnaissance course, which is where guys go to trap for, for Marine Recon and, and SEAL training, is that the most physically fit guy who everyone thinks is going to make it all of a sudden rings out, drops on request, two weeks into a six month to 12 month program. And then all of a sudden the guy, and this happened to me, I wrote about it in my book, uh, The Talent War. There was this little Korean kid, first generation American. And I'm coming from the Marine recon community. There's no way I'm quitting buds because I'm representing the Marine Corps, even though now I'm technically dressed in a Navy uniform. And And a great Marine officer told me, he's like, Mike, don't quit or you'll embarrass the Marine Corps. And I appreciate the fact that he said that to me. He was the only one that would, that would candidly say that. And so I looked at this little Korean kid and I'm like, yeah, yeah. he was sort of passive. I'm like, yeah, that kid's not going to make it. Well, at the end of hell week, we started with 250 and I think we graduated like 25 from hell week. And there's that little Korean kid. You know, I couldn't be more wrong. As life went on, we ended up at the same SEAL team where I watched him earn a silver star. Then went back to the battle of Sauter City with him where I watched him earn a bronze star for valor. And then he went on to, you know, the Navy sent him back to school where he got a, a 3.98 in mathematics and then went to Harvard Medical School. And then after a few years of being a Navy doctor, decided to apply for NASA, which I think is 18,000 applicants and they select 12. He was one of them. And, and, and now he, Navy SEAL, Silver Star, Bronze Star, Harvard educated doctor, NASA astronaut, actually just completed his Navy aviation wings. So now he's a pilot. Like, he had been through a lot of life struggles. In fact, we didn't know this, but on uh, the Jocko podcast, he told a story that he had never told us when we served with him. The fact that when he was, you know, had a highly abusive alcoholic father and one night in his senior year of school, he decided to stand up to his dad, told him to get out of the house while his dad went into a attic. When the police came, Johnny realized that the attic door was ajar and said, hey, I think my dad's still in the house. There was a shootout. His, his dad was armed. Unfortunately, his dad was, was killed in the exchange. And he held that probably guilt for, still does, for life. So, you know, that nurture part, what we've seen is people that continually go through hardship and find a way, this resilience to persevere and to learn from it and grow, go on to do great things. So yes, anyone can become a warrior in terms of mindset. It is all about having the courage to get out there and fail and redefining failure. Failure is not an indictment of your character. In order to achieve success or excellence, if you want to say it, plan on failing a lot. And that hurts, not because of internal strife, but usually our fear of external. is you fail and the people in the cheap seats that will never risk anything, make comments and call you stupid and laugh at you, and once you can overcome that and start to smile when you fail, have appreciation for it, learn from it, 
and then get back on the saddle, as we say, and continue striving forward, you become a warrior. So you can take small steps by putting yourself in what, what some people call deliberate hardship uh, or deliberate discomfort. In the military, we said, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It meant that in order to learn and grow, you've got to do hard things, which is to say, push yourself outside of your mental and physical comfort zones. And the more you do that, let's say you fear getting up in front of a crowd and speaking, well, practice in the mirror. Next, go ask your family to sit down in the living room and give a speech and then get out in a community and speak to five people and then 10 people and just continually build. We don't want you to take this, this just drastic leap off the deep end or into the deep end. No, dip a toe in the water, see what you learn, dip two toes and just continue to iterate until you build those scars and you no longer fear those things and then move on to something that makes you uncomfortable. One of my favorite takeaways or pieces of advice that you had in the book about failure was sitting back and viewing the objective, practical implications of something that you perceive as failure. In other words, like what actually happened? Did you actually lose money? Did you actually damage anything? Because I think we tend to catastrophize. We see something as a failure and then it becomes this whole narrative in our head of this epic fail when like really we can, if you view it objectively, like what actually happened? And I think that, I hadn't really thought about that before, but I think that's a really nice approach. This thing between both ears is the most beautiful thing in the world. And it's what leads to your mindset. It also can be your biggest liability. We, we, you just said it, you catastrophize something that really isn't a big deal. And so, you know, celebrate your victories and then move on. Dwell or, or reflect on your failures and then quickly move on. You know, some things you may dwell on a little more, like if you ruined a, a relationship during a business setting, I get it. But if you can take the time to rest, reflect, and then step back into the arena, you're going to do great things. Of course, there's, there's things that you know, need to be done like kind, kindness, respect, and empathy and all the things that you do that you're not ruining relationships. You're not being, for, for lack of a better words, an asshole. But if you're doing things with good intent and, and just continually evolving, then, then you're going to lead a, a purpose-driven life. I actually have a question about that because I'm, I'm really all about things you just mentioned, kindness, empathy. Do you think sometimes, <laughs> talking objectively though, Sometimes do people who are, you know, Machiavellian win? Oh yeah, they do. They do. And I know that can be frustrating for, for people that didn't take their approach, took, took the, took the right approach and things didn't work out. You know, I gotta hate to, to say it. Like there's, there's, there's seals out there that have built these massive images who quite frankly weren't good seals and not team players. And for a lot of it, like internally within our community, you guys are like, screw them. I'm like, yeah, you know, Congratulate them on their success. They've done something right. Maybe they don't, they, maybe they're not kind to people. Just, you know what? They're a grown individual, a grown adult. There's nothing you can do about it. Move on with your life. This is like comparison is the thief of joy and karma will come back. Karma always comes back. Just stop comparing yourself to other people. Even if, you know, they're, they're ruining relationships, but they're still meeting with success. Things have a way of that pot percolating over. And so they will have their moment of reckoning, but that's not for you. You're not the arbiter of that situation or that individual. So really focus on what you can control and what you can affect and try to dismiss what you can't because you're just going to, again, you're going to cause yourself a lot of uh, depression, anxiety, and just total disarray of mental health. 
Yeah. And that taps into a larger theme of the book and a personal passion of mine. I was talking about this as well before the recording, which is just the role of agency control in your own life, not playing into the victimhood epidemic that we have today. What are your thoughts on all of that? Everybody's a victim. Everybody's offended. What are your thoughts? So when I wrote the book, Fox News got a hold of it. They had me come on, but what did they want to focus on? Victimhood. There is, and I think victimhood is the the biggest epidemic we have right now. And there's some very bad narratives out there. I can assure you, you don't have less because somebody else has more. And to actually believe that, to buy into the victimhood mentality, which is attractive, which means you can just play the victim card and you have to put no effort in and nothing is your fault. The end is dangerous. And you, as you just said it, to play into that victimhood, you deny your agency, control over your life. You are in control of the majority of the outcomes in your life. Now, when you have, and I call the victimhood is really a fixed mindset. This, this growth mindset, this warrior mindset, even though you have it, it's not going to insulate you from hardship, but it prepares you to react or respond in a positive way. Something bad happens like COVID victims are like, hey, it's not my fault. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Okay. You've just discounted your agency. Growth-minded people say, hey, okay, hey, this is a horrible situation. How am I going to make the best of it? How can I move forward? How can I thrive through adversity? Nobody could have planned on, on COVID. We're not putting place and blame on anyone, but you saw the difference between the two mindsets. And victimhood, victims love, misery loves company. That's what it is. And you see people, victims, attract other victims saying, hey, it's okay. It's not your fault. It's their fault. Come, come hang out over here. And you create this little toxic well where you, you collect everyone who wants to put zero effort in and just commensurating their, their, their misery. And it's a horrible group to be around. And I got a lot of negative comments on the book and I wasn't trying to offend anyone. And then some people reached out, well, hey, you don't, you don't know what it's like to be you know, a certain race in America. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, and I'm not saying that. And, and not everyone starts out at, at an equal starting block. And, and at no point did I try to ever say that I understand what it's like to be a black woman in America. I'm not saying that. But you do have control over your responses and your reactions, and no one is in control of your life but you. Can we ever blame anybody else for our problems or for anything? Is there an exception? You know, there, there probably is. Now, victims of crimes, yeah, I get it. But what I'm saying is look at the scenario of, of, hey, this person assaulted me and it's weighing me down. You have a decision. Let them control your life through that attack, that assault, or say, this was a horrible incident. This person took advantage of me. They caused damage in, you know, mentally, physically, but they are not in control of my life. The decision I make next is going to show them that they did not win. I won by learning, growing, and becoming a better human being. And quite frankly, if you look at all those scenarios, you see the difference between the two. It's interesting. I had a, um, a sexual assault experience with a massage therapist. And that actually, I'm actually really, really grateful that that happened because I got to turn it into... Now I like run PSAs on this show about it to raise awareness and encourage people to, you know, speak out. And when it happened, I actually, you know, I was like on the fence about going to the police or not. And I 
I did. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. And they took him to jail. And I actually, I mean, this was a year ago, but I actually just got an update about that case. But I think that's a good example of, you know, something that was done wrong, but you have the decision after that, how you handle it and how it affects your life and how it affects other people's lives. And I mean, I really think everything you can turn around to your benefit in some way. I mean, maybe that's a pipe dream. I don't know. It's just my, my perspective. Melanie, let me say this. First off, that, that, that kills me that that happened to you. I, I, I wish, wish that ever happened. I, I predators, you know, I, I've got a very different approach to, to taking care of people that commit certain crimes. I've got a very, very different viewpoint of how to fix that problem in America. But that's predatory and, and it's disgusting. And, and I'm glad you, you found growth through it, that, that you won moral courage to go to, to, to law enforcement and do the right thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of women that have done that right thing and it still didn't work out in their favor and the systematic problems that we have there. But when I hear those stories perpetrated by men, they aren't men, you know, they, they're, they're predators and predators have no place on this, uh, this earth, in, in my opinion. Hi friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Yeah. Well, thank you for <laughs> making me tear up. Thank you so much. But I actually, I can say that I'm grateful it happened because I think I have, I've had so many people reach out to me through the show saying that something had happened to them and that they never felt the courage until they heard me talk about it to actually even like way later go back and you know report it or you know at least make a report so it's been actually a, a good thing in my life i'm grateful for it well speaking of today's culture well actually one more question about the victimhood why do you think we have this epidemic you know i do believe we were just on a podcast with a world-class climber 
He just summited Everest for the sixth time. I think it was his 20th trip to Nepal. But we talked about walking from Lukla, which is known as the most dangerous airport in the world, to Namchi, which is the highest city in the world, which is a beautiful route. And how you watch these Nepalese people, and some of them are the Sherpa sect, and you've got young children bathing in like 40 degree water. And they're looking at you smiling, where I would be crying sitting in that water. Or, you know, they're walking 10 miles down these just, just the, you know, the, the incline of these trails and the elevation gain and drop. They're hard people. We have become so with, with the advent of, you know, the industrial age and technology, we've become so comfortable and we've become entitled. Americans believe I am entitled to this. I'm entitled to a free paycheck. But this is all one because we've become very comfortable. And when you become very comfortable, you become entitled and stagnant. And there's some dangerous narratives out there. And I think it starts, you know, with education of our youth. Our youth is always the solution to our biggest problems and always just investing in the next generation to become better than us. That's the whole point. That's a a term I call the legacy of leadership. And we're not instilling the right values in our children, you know, where these things come where like everyone gets a trophy. No, not everyone gets a trophy. And again, that's not an indictment of your character. If you don't get a trophy, you're not, it's not saying that you're not good enough. It's saying that, Hey, you didn't achieve success on this go around. Try again. I was never the guy who was, like I said, was, was good at anything where some people they're, they're successful almost every time. I'm the guy that has to do it, has to do it 20 times to become successful, but we've got dangerous narratives out there, especially perpetrated by the uh, the media that are just, again, pulling people into this victimhood category and creating just angry, angry people who just will not get up out of their seats and take the right path, the hard path to embitterment for their lives. Do you think it's a wave? Are we going to oscillate back to something different or do you think it's a downward spiral? So, you know, I went, uh, if you went back to like the 60s, 70s, and probably talked to the World War II vets were, that were watching the Vietnam generation and the hippie movement. They probably thought the, the, the country was going to hell. I think every generation goes through that. We fortunately forget the history or, or our past very quickly. Everything goes through an ebb and flow. And I think right now we're in an ebb. And when something, unfortunately, when you know, you've, got, you've got to have some catastrophic events for people to wake up and say, okay, hey, we're on the wrong path. We need, to, we need to start heading in this direction. So I believe it'll course correct. I've got to have hope. And there's some things about this younger generation I really do like. They're seeing us bicker amongst ourselves, which we're not setting a good example. They're more financially sound. They're not living their lives in debt like the baby boomers Generation X did, which I'm Generation X. There's always hope in our youth. But we also have to set the example. We have to show them what it means to, to be a professional, to be kind, empathetic, and respectful, to have a civil conversation. So no, I think I think we will course correct. And I understand why some people believe, you know, again, the country's going to hell. Do the right thing. Try to 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 set the example for those around you. And you'd be surprised if in hardship people see you smiling, they're like, you know what? I'm gonna start following that that individual over there. Because they have this growth positive mindset that despite everything going wrong, they're not complaining. They're just moving forward. Yeah, I love that. And speaking of 
the different generations and what we see in social media. So I love in the book, you talk about the role of social media and you you talk about, oh, I wanted to share it. Okay. Have you been receiving, because you talk about people sharing their failures and tagging you or DMing you. Have people done that? Yeah, they have. And of course, I would never share it. And, and, and talk about warming my heart. I, I'm like, I'm humbled that you would share that. And we, we share some messages and I just giving them some, some, some support. Like, Hey, listen, just keep moving forward. Bad times cometh, bad times goeth. And then when you're successful, keep, just remember good times cometh and good times goeth. So don't lose faith in, in the fact that people reach out and we form that community. I love that aspect of what we're doing. And what do you encourage people to share exactly and tag? Just failures. If, if things are awry in your life and if I can provide just one little nugget uh, of wisdom or, or, you know, a message of support, sometimes that really helps for certain people. I, I got a note from an individual in jail and I'm going to respond to him. So his parents reached out, his girlfriend reached out. He sent a letter to my house and he read, read the everyday warrior. I'm humbled that somebody who fell on hardship, partly self-inflicted in prison can read the book and say, Hey man, I, I want to be better. I want to be different. When I leave here, I want to be on a path to, to recover my life. And so I owe that individual a lot of gratitude for one, picking up my book, reading it, and then having the courage to send a, uh, a letter and have his family reach out. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I love that. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to your Instagram and all of that. So people can do that if they like. How do you engage with social media? Because you talk in the book about you know, the role of disconnecting and how we're oversaturated in the digital world today. What about people like you and I, where we kind of have to do it for our jobs? You literally say in the book, you say like, unless you're an influencer, dot, dot, dot. I'm like, well. Yeah. And, and people are like, yeah, I've, been, I've been called an influencer and I, like, I've also been called a motivational speaker. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm neither. I, I'm a leadership development pr- professional. God, if I end up being known as an influencer, my old man's going to, he's going to get upset. So I've got two buckets, work and and, in my personal life. And I'm not all of that active. If you go and look at my Instagram uh, about my personal life, some things are private. I would always caution people to, to keep things as private as possible. But, you know, if you do share a failure and I've seen that and it's done in a professional tactful way and you're conveying a lesson learned or, Hey, do you guys have any advice how to turn this around? I, I encourage that. Without being, you know, there's a difference between being vulnerable and being a victim. You know, it's a dichotomy. And you want to make sure that you're, you're more towards the vulnerable part, less away from the, uh, the victim part. But it is a form of communication. But come Friday, I try to shut that thing down and at least focus on my wife and my family. Yeah, we may video something that I'll post on Monday. But you saw the stats in there about this younger generation. And by the time they're like 75 given the average amount of time on spent on social media, it's like five years of their entire life. They've, they've been scrolling on what a, a buddy calls the anxiety box. But I would say this, with media, if it bleeds, it leads. And we may be standing up a show called the Everyday Warrior TV series where I've got a, a couple of hosts alongside me where we want to go tell the stories of lesser known, amazing human beings that are doing impactful work in their communities. Those are the stories that need to be told, not the, the the doom and gloom. So if there's somebody you follow that just aggravates you and, and makes you upset, again, 
you have agency over your decisions. Say unfollow and follow positive content. I'm not saying don't keep up with current affairs, some jobs requirement, both internationally and national current affairs. Yeah, absolutely. But remember, if you go back to the days uh, of, you know, the Athens, I'm sure it was the same thing, you know, doom and gloom, the end of the world's coming. And, and guess what? Generation after generation, we, we've persevered and we're still here. Okay. I'm so glad you said that because I feel so strongly about this. I mean, I do agree that social media is having a negative effect on a lot of people. And, you know, there was that documentary, The Social Dilemma, but there's this whole messaging that like the algorithm is out to get us and social media is just wrecking us. And I'm like, well, you choose what you're feeding into that algorithm. So, I mean, if my home feed is mostly just like Taylor Swift videos and it's really happy. So... Taylor Swift kicks ass, of course. Oh my goodness, yes. So I think even there, it's like this subtle nuance where people are not taking agency again for their own life. Like you can choose how you engage with social media and you can choose what you're feeding into the algorithm and what it feeds back. And like you said, who you follow and and don't follow. On the topic of Taylor Swift, Kelly Clarkson was going to have me on post triple seven and they canceled last minute. And I was all excited. I'm like, Kelly Clarkson? Oh yeah, okay, we're going to have fun with this. It's like every SEAL's dream. I'm, I'm joking. Now, it's, it can't consume your life. My wife and I have committed to walking 30 minutes in the morning with our dogs and 30 minutes in the evening with our dogs. No social media, just breathing, just sort of breaking away from, from all the noise. And it's amazing how just one simple little tactic can just relieve some of the, the anxiety. And I get depression. I get anxiety as well. Every human being, you know, the book is not some prescriptive method that should make your life so great. You're going to suffer hardship. That's just life. But these small little, and, and I love it, like almost cognitive behavioral therapies, which we should be teaching our kids now in grammar school, given the mental health rates is we should be teaching our kids cognitive behavior, behavioral therapies techniques to minimize depression, anxiety, and prepare them for the hardships of life. And we're not doing that. And Dr. Luna Marquez just wrote a book called Bold Move, you know, rather than issuing antidepressants, which there's a time and place for that. Let's teach them techniques that when you suffer hardship, let's work through breathing techniques. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, when I was sitting on a MH47 with all 40, well, 20 guys, and then there's another MH47 Lights are, are off. We're on our nods. We're going into a combat mission. I would sit there and visualize every stage of the mission. And I'd walk through contingencies, but I'm breathing, I'm visualizing, I'm walking through as the, the performance of the entire thing. And how that was so cathartic for me and got my mindset right. And people just don't have the discipline to step away from all the noise. You have to to actually have the discipline to say, nope, I'm going to go walk around every five minutes at the top of the hour to make sure I'm getting my, my 10,000 steps in, which is, you know, is important. Best way to, 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 to maintain a positive weight is always get your 10,000 plus steps in a day. Kirk and I have talked about this. You look at society a generation ago where they had to walk everywhere. Obesity levels were, were much lower or, hey, at the top of the hour, I'm going to take five minutes to do some mindfulness techniques. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to visualize. Those small things, you start to see a, a compounding effect from them that make you just feel so much better. 
I cannot agree more. One of my favorite things in life is the concept of boundaries and self-care. And what do you say to people who believe that self-care is selfish? You know, there was a phrase. I I took everything as gospel, as scripture, when I joined the Marine Corps because I was in such awe of the men and the women that were in charge of me. There's, There's a phrase called leaders eat last. And so I took that as gospel and always made sure that my... My guys ate before me, or if I was a corporal, the Lance Corporals ate before me. And it was in the SEALs that had a really great master chief, a mentor, what we call a senior enlisted advisor. And he actually, he, he, he sort of yelled at me. He's like, that's driving me crazy. He's like, stop, you know, some expletives, stop doing that. He's like, you need to go get to the computer and start your post-op. So go get your food before us because we know you got to get to the office. And, and I'd be exhausted and he would see it. And I'm like, I finally understood. He said, sometimes in order to take care of people and to be a better leader, you have to take care of yourself. And I'm not saying, oh God, I'm such a good human being because I was so selfless. I wanted to, I wanted my guys to see through my actions that I was always putting them before me. And sometimes it ran me into the ground to the point where guys had to tap me out. I had some things going on in my life. It was affecting my performance. I was going through a divorce. I didn't want to admit that to my guys. And finally they said, hey, what's going on? Stop lying to us. Say, hey, I'm going through a divorce. And they said, okay, we're going to take things off your plate for the next month or two because we're deploying in four months and we need you at the top of your game. That was very late in my career, actually my last second to last deployment. And you would think now all this wisdom that I would know that I need to break away and admit that I need help and I still couldn't do it at that time. So departing from the military and going through a uh, downward spiral of losing my my tribe, my identity, my, my mission, uh, and also survivor's guilt, There's been a lot of reflection with the help of a mental health specialist, a clinical psychologist, in helping me work through what's important, finding my mission again, my purpose, who am I, which is a question we all struggle with. So I'm grateful for the people in my life that have taught me sometimes you need to take better care of yourself in order to take better care of your kids or anyone else. Yeah, it's a big paradigm shift, but I just think it's so important because really, I mean, I think the only way you can best show up to everybody else in the world and bring the best of the world is if you take care of yourself first. <laughs> now there's a point. Now, if you take it to the extreme, people are going to notice that and they're, they're going to put a label on you. Selfish. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. 
I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. So just finding that that balance. Speaking of the tribes, how can people find their tribe? Yeah, how can they know if they're in the the right tribe? You talk in your book about good versus bad tribes. What even is a tribe? So, you know, your tribe and and sometimes people belong to multiple tribes. That's okay too. I'm not advocating against that. That's okay. Sometimes you have a professional tribe, you have a a sort of casual friend friendly tribe. Ultimately, ask your question, are these people making me a better person? Are they pushing me outside my comfort zones in a positive, healthy way? It goes back to that proverbs, iron sharpens iron, so as one person sharpens another. That's what I've always sought to, to surround myself with, with Kirk Parsley, with John Wellborn, with guys like Nick Cush and Andy Stumpf, who always say, hey, no, you can do better at that manner. Hey, you didn't do that well, who would be very candid, or who always propose, let's do some some hard things. And that keeps me off balance. It keeps me uncomfortable, which hopefully keeps me growing. But if you're part of a tribe that wants to go to the bars every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know, while they may be fun to hang around, ask yourself, is this instilling positive foundational habits for me to be successful for the rest of my life? Because at 35, if you're unmarried, yeah, that may be fun, but is that going to be relevant or, or healthy when you're married with a wife and kids? No. So you've got to ask yourself, do these people stand for something good? Or are they trying to become better human beings? And when I said good or bad cultures, there are no good or bad cultures. There's just culture. But ultimately, you know, what do you stand for? Because the Taliban is a culture and they're a highly effective culture, whether you want to agree or not. ISIS is a culture. They were highly effective. Yes, they, they, they stood for bad. And I don't agree with what the Hells Angels are a culture. But then you have other cultures like, you know, the Red Cross or religious groups. You know, if you're part of a terrorist organization preying on the, uh, the weak, I, w- I would say you're, you're not in an ethically good culture and you might want to reassess your priorities. That makes sense. I love when I read a book and I learn about a concept that I've never, never been exposed to before. It's very exciting. So I had never heard of a VUCA environment. I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about that concept. Yeah, it's a military term, volatility, uncertainty, chaotic, and ambiguity. So volatility, uncertainty, chaotic, and ambiguity. And it's basically a combat zone, but it's also life. They're the same thing, especially at the speed at which people do business now. So we train and educate people to thrive in that volatile, uncertain, chaotic, ambiguous environment they call a combat zone. And to be able to block out the noise, to be able to prioritize with limited information, to to be able to act and respond, that's ultimately what we train people to do within the military and special operations. Well, again, you look at COVID. COVID was a VUCA environment. Nobody saw that coming. It was volatile. There was total uncertainty. Things were chaotic. And there was total ambiguity because we were getting information from both sides. This is accurate. This is inaccurate. No, that's inaccurate. That was a VUCA environment. And you saw people who had been mentored, coached, forged to thrive in those environments. And you saw the majority of people that weren't. So, you know, if you have children, the time to expose them to adversity 
and to prepare them for life is almost immediately. I was waiting. I was like, when are you going to say? (laughs) So, you know, like putting your children in situations where they're going to, you know, have social conflict with other kids and not immediately stepping in and, and letting them develop their critical thinking and work through the problem is actually healthy. You know, I talk predominantly with companies. I ended up on the top 30 gurus, global leadership speakers, which I have no clue. Maybe they just had a a poor candidate pool in 2023. But I talk about, people ask how we led in the military. And, And for me, it's simple. We led through love. The highest form of compassion is accountability. You see your child do something wrong, hopefully in a professional, tactful way. You pull them aside, ask them why they did that, reinforce why it wasn't the correct action to take, the impacts it has on other people, and help them through the Socratic method develop critical thinking. Because at the end of the day, and that's no different than leading your men or women in the military or in the business world, is you want to make your people, your younger leaders, better than you are. And so at the end of the day, you, if you want to look at it from a parent perspective, I want to raise kids that are competent, good human beings that contribute to society, but more importantly, are able to stand on their own two feet, not to insulate them from failure, but to teach them that one failure happens. They have the critical thinking to reflect, learn, grow, and then continue moving forward. That's the whole point. So exposing, you know, again, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, exposing your kids to uncomfortable situations in a very smart approach and ramping that up slowly, followed by periods of reflection, you'll forge amazing human beings that are, are capable of, of more than you would ever imagine. Oh, I love that. And two thoughts there. Evolutionarily, I've read that, you know, even play, like kids playing, the purpose of that is for them to experience, you know, like mock versions of <laughs> scenarios that could happen. So it's it's like kids are naturally, like they want to be, ex- I think, experiencing this ambiguity and this complexity and everything. Yeah. I mean, you take kids on the playground and then put that next to a video of our, our national government, like Congress. They're all, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. They're acting both the same way, like children. So yeah, sometimes us adults don't evolve from how we act on the, uh, the playground, but we put a professional title on it. It's actually quite sad. Talking about the role of love, I've also heard they'll say that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. And the interesting thing about that is apathy would be, in my opinion, sort of the opposite of action. So that kind of brings everything all together and that love and action are sort of connected. I was just thinking about that connection there. So one of the things I say when I, I say we led through, led through love in the military, and it took me a long time to realize this. I, I didn't care about the enemy. I didn't. Did I hate them? Yeah, at times, but that was sort of the immaturity. They were fed some propaganda and they were doing what they thought was right. So I loved my men and women a lot more than I hated the enemy. And that's what drove my decisions and my actions on the battlefield. And unfortunately, you face an adversary and, and I'm going to kill the adversary before they can even touch my people. But that's not driven from hate. That's driven from love for my fellow man and my, my brothers and sisters. I've always thought it's a bit of a tragedy that we don't have more words for love like they do in the, the four Greek loves. I just feel like we need more we need more words to describe it because it gets all looped into this one like lovey-dovey, like <laughs> vague. My, my wife and I have a, a word that means both love and hate and knock it off. You're, you're, you're going to get a, a right cross. It's skogafoss. 
and actually, you know, when I retired, I had a trip I wanted to take. I always wanted to go to Iceland and I never traveled in the military because the war was going on and I never wanted to like take the time to break away and miss something, which, which was unhealthy. So I never traveled other than to a combat zone. And so I went to Iceland. I was dating her at the time. I asked her to marry me in front of Skogafoss, which is one of their you know, most famous waterfalls. And so we often say, I Skogafoss you. But if you're doing something wrong, it's also Skogafoss. And it's uh, the cutest is to, to stop. So That's amazing. Yeah. She's, she's an uh, amazing woman. So usually when I introduce myself, I say I'm Jordan's husband. Oh, no, I love that. Yeah. And I noticed on your, on your Instagram, you only get so many things you get to put in that short little bio (laughs) underneath your picture. Well, speaking of action and doing things in countries and traveling, what led to the documentary, the triple seven documentary that you've been working on a lot? We, we did go skydiving in the Mount Everest region. We did a, a, it was a quick project drop zone Everest. If people want to go watch that, just type in drop zone Everest. USA had it on their platforms, USA Today, Sports, Carbon TV still has it up. We've pulled it off certain platforms, but you know, I love telling stories. I love telling other people's stories. And that's where I see myself moving in the future is yes, we're, you know, because I was on the team for triple seven, was I, you know, one of the nine figures being, you know, developed or followed? I am. But, you know, I'm always more enthusiastic to tell the story of, uh, of my brothers and sisters with a smile on my face and how awesome they are uh, than I am going to tell my own story. And so, Triple Seven, I am narrating for that. But we're about to do this thing called Drake's Fury, where we're supporting 10 special operators. Only six of them will get to row Drake's passage. But Dan Myrick is, again, directing, producing, I'm narrating is I get to tell the story of these guys. And that brings me more joy than telling me my story. So it's to tell the story of the living and then also to tell the story of our dead. The, those who, who selflessly gave their lives, even though they didn't know you, to, to protect your freedoms. You're going to be the official narrator, like the voice. Yeah, I walked into that. Dan and Christian Krempel, who's our, our partner in Legacy Studios, like they're like, hey, dude. They, they tested Drop Zone Everest at several locations and I wasn't there and they're like, the people were in tears. They're like, you need to, to, you know, you need to narrate these films. You, like, I guess I have a face for radio and, and a voice for TV. So I, I think that was a compliment. And, you know, I, you know, hesitatingly said yes after, after they said, Hey, just, just do this. Let's give it a shot. And so. Well, that's amazing. I can't wait to hear it. And that actual experience. Cause I remember when Kirk was doing it, I was, I was so worried. Cause like <laughs> how many days was it? So the overall trip was probably a little less than 30. Because we had to go stage in Antarctica and stay there for like six to seven days before we could actually start the clock. You went to Antarctica? Yes. Had you been there before? No. How was that? Awesome. i very humbled to say that I've stepped on that continent to see it. The beauty. Unfortunately, it's like bright 24 hours a day. So you come out of your tent at like 3 a.m. in the morning and it's like 12 noon, which sort of threw guys off. But we got to explore quite a bit as we're waiting for the, the expedition to start. But once we started, you know, this concept of jumping skydiving into all seven continents in seven days has been around for, for decades. And it's also, you know, almost become a running joke. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, we'll go do it. And everyone's like, that nah, can't be done. People are like, yeah, Hey, congrats on, on taking on this venture. You won't be able to do it in less than, than 10 to, to 14 days. If you're lucky too many variables from weather and all the different continents. And when people say impossible, I hear improbable. 
And it's almost like you're telling me, so they're telling me there's a chance there's, there's, there's a possibility. And we planned it for 18 months. And, you know, they said it especially couldn't be done unless you had a private airplane. Well, we're veterans. We, we can't afford a private airplane. So we flew economy commercial. And then that adds another variable of what if there's delays or airplane maintenance or, or, or and we actually ran into that. Which there was, right? Yeah. But we, we did it in six days, six hours, and six minutes. And the guys set four world records. And I remember stepping back and I felt that brotherhood again. And, and that doesn't replace what I have with, with my wife, but I just smiled watching at them celebrate. And that's that, that the world records mean nothing. That's what meant the world to me is that I shared this experience with human beings and we did it together in the records. Who gives a crap about the records? I hope somebody breaks them. Do you have any idea when that will be airing or coming out or will it be like on streaming? So there's, we're, we're having these conversations. It will end up on some platform. February of 2024 is when we'll have the release party where I don't know, but that's what, what Dan is telling me. So I'm stepping into this arena now of like, I hesitate to say Hollywood of entertainment or documentary filmmaking. So I'm sort of following Dan and Christian's lead on this as I learn the industry and how things work. Well, I will keep listeners updated on all of that. I'm so excited to watch it. Okay, maybe one last thing. You mentioned something about this, just as far as the uh, the planning that went into all of it. You do have a big part in the book about accomplishing goals and the role of planning. And so I am, <laughs> I'm like a big planner. Like I live by my calendar and planning and all of that. What are your thoughts on goal accomplishment and the role of making a plan and how can we not be over neurotic with things. What are your thoughts on plan? Like sometimes I'm like, should I be a person who goes with the flow more? So, you know, everything is a balance. So when we talk about goals, it's okay to have lofty goals. And in fact, Kirk and, and John Welburn and I were just talking about that. But you often see somebody who, who let's say, a man who's 300 pounds and is morbidly obese. And he's like, hey, I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to lose 50 pounds in 10 days, which is just, that's a very lofty goal. And they quit two days into it because they realize how hard it's going to be. They didn't set themselves up for success. So rather the process of what we use in the military to say, hey, this is our objective over here. Hey, if it, you know, it pertains to weight loss, let's say in that scenario, I've caused damage to my body over five years. This is not going to happen overnight. So within two years, I want to be 200 pounds. So that's the objective. Here's the timeline, two years. Now let's create reverse planning, realistic goals and milestones to hit over the next two years that set me up for success. And then follow those milestones. Don't leap, try to leap to the 200 pounds because you will only be met with failure. And it's delayed gratification is taking the hard path, which is the right path, which also sets foundational building blocks which become what we call habits, positive habits. And there are negative or bad habits. So, you know, you've got, let's say between those two years, you've got, you know, either 24 or maybe you, you said bi-weekly, 48 milestones. And if you don't hit every milestone, don't, don't quit. Reflect, say, what did I do or where did I lack the discipline to meet that goal? And then learn from that, implement those changes as you go for the next milestone. And sometimes it happens like, Hey, two years, I'm not going to do it. We're bumping this to two years and two months because of this. 
and staying on track and committing and just not quitting from that goal, having the commitment and the drive to, to, to pursue it. But Melanie, I say this, I use the example again, delayed gratification versus instant gratification, which is partly because of our society. People see people who are successful and they want that. They think it's overnight success. There's no such thing. I've not seen it in my left hand. I have a blue pill in my right hand. I have a red pill, the left hand, the blue pill. If you take it, it will help you set the foundational building blocks to lose that weight or the red pill. Take this and you'll go from 300 pounds, to 200 pounds overnight. What do you think most people, humans will choose? The red pill. They want that instant gratification. They don't want to put the hard work in. Well, you take that pill, you wake up in the morning, you're 200 pounds. Guess what? Within about three to 12 months, you'll be 300 pounds again because you did not again build those habits that stay with you for life. Take the hard path. The hard path is always the right path because it means you have to actually use these attributes called drive, discipline, accountability, resilience. And those are the things from which success is achieved. When you build those those attributes, you are setting yourself up for success. It does not mean that life will be easy. It just means you've got the playbook, the blueprint to succeed. Me personally, I I don't know. I feel like I've been haunted by my drive and discipline. Like I get a little bit, I don't know. I, I like... Neurotic? Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't had the experience. I mean, I might have, but it doesn't quickly come to mind the experience where I struggled to find drive or find that aspect. But you did have a section for people who do. And something I loved is you basically said people can outsource their discipline. Like basically, like if you don't have discipline or drive, you can sign up for something where you have to show up. And so now other people are enforcing you to have this drive and discipline. I thought that was so cool. I was like, that's a nice little hack. We, we, we call it accountability partners. And that's something I learned from the special operations community. You don't need to sign up for it. If guys see you doing something wrong, they're going to call you out on it. Not because they want to embarrass you or denigrate you or make fun of you. It's because they have a bar, a standard. They have a high standard and they want to see you succeed and they want to see you the very best version of you. So if you need assistance up front, it's okay to have an accountability partner. That's an external force. Eventually you want to move. When I say accountability or discipline, I think of self-accountability and self-discipline. If you look at the definition of discipline, that is to instill, or I'm sorry, exude or, 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 or put punishment on somebody for an infraction. I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that. I want to be able to call myself out and hold myself accountable for a lack of discipline. And I don't need somebody to, to reinforce that. So it's okay at first to have that accountability partner, but what you want to develop is that internal accountability and that internal uh, discipline I call self-accountability and self-discipline. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? 
I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved a natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as the near infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Yeah. I love it. And then also, I don't think you talked about this in the book. You do have a large section on habits. Something I've loved that I've learned about habits, a nice reframe, is we get so emotionally wedded to our habits and we have our, quote, good habits and our bad habits. And we think that we are always going to want, if we're struggling with a bad habit, we think we're always are going to want to do that bad habit. But technically the brain, like it doesn't care about what the habit is. It just likes habits. And I find that so freeing because it means you can literally change your habits and good habits can make you happy instead of bad habits. You just think that you like one more than the other, but once your brain changes, 
it's like down. <laughs> it gets the dopamine regardless. There, there are so many times I use this example, like a downfall is this cookie company called Crumble. Oh, it is so good. It is so good. My wife and I, like, and she's got the discipline of like, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And you eat, you know, two or three of the cookies and it is so good in the moment. But how do you feel afterwards? You're like, damn it. Damn it. I feel horrible. Why did I do that? And so you've got to be able to, again, delay that desire for, for you know, that short-term happiness to, to, to go buy that car you can't afford and just put it on debt. And then do you know how much mental strife you're going to have as those payments come in and you don't have the means to pay it? Yeah, it's, I, I fall victim to that. There's, there's moments where we lose our discipline. No one is disciplined 100% of the time. And I don't want like, again, there's certain social media figures out there that are like 110% all the time. No, that's not even possible. You, no one can go past 100% and nobody can maintain 100% for extended periods of time. The, you know, you've got to take time to rest and reflect. We didn't send our, our soldiers to Afghanistan for 20 years. No, we sent them for six months. We bring them home. And then there was this rotation. If not, you would have wore people into the dirt and there would be a lot, there would have been a lot more dead soldiers. Just really quick comment on the crumble thing. So um, this is actually a good example of, well, people, this is embarrassing and people might think I'm crazy once I say this, but I've never had crumble cookies, but I appreciate, they look very good. I can probably tell you all the flavors because the habit I have created instead of eating them is I just read the reviews about them. And that actually makes me really happy. So I've like, that's my hack for for that. I probably, I love that they like switch the flavors. I know if I have one, I'll just feel awful. So My, my, my wife and I will look at the menu and we're like, oh, that looks so good. Like well played, crumble, well played. Shut the app off. The key is to look at it. Okay, here's the key. The key is to look at it, like read it for fun while you're eating something you actually love that's healthy. And then you're like being nourished, but you also get to enjoy. It works for me so well. So I was recently in San Diego and I love this woman, Marla. She's a Fox LA anchor. We, we skydived her in. My buddy Nick Cush and I, Andy Sumpf, couldn't make it out. And, and we did it for uh, Memorial Day. Well, she read the book and she read about the crumble part. And so she comes with 12, a dozen crumble cookies. And I'm like, you mother. And there were some kids and I, I had a little piece of the chocolate one. And I'm like, hey, even crumble's good in San Diego because I live in Texas. And there were some kids and my kids eat all of this right now, make it disappear. And the kids just went to town and it was gone. Do you moderate or are you extremist all in type person? You know, probably in my youth, I was an extremist. Yeah, that sounds horrible. I, I took things to the extremes. I think with age, wisdom, and maturity, you realize that moderation is the uh, the key. Too much of anything is not a good thing. Okay. I just know for me, like I can't, I don't know, maybe maybe this is a limiting belief that I have, but I just feel like I can't do moderation. So I, it's like, yes or no. So like with the crumble cookies, I can never, I can't have one bite. It's, or just no bites <laughs> or the whole thing. There's there's both the good and the bad with certain attributes. I I, I completely hear you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mike. This has been absolutely incredible. You were just a like a wealth of information and motivation, and you're changing so many lives. I really can't thank you enough for all that you're doing. How can people best follow your work? What links would you like to put out there? God, I, I have got a personal website now. So MikeSorelli.com 
is really the best place to find me. It's got links to like the men's journal and legacy expeditions and the documentaries and stuff like that. That's it's run by my team. So I rarely, rarely go on there because I, the, the, the sound of my own voice in, the, in my face irritate even me. So go to mikesrelli.com. You can reach out to us through the, you know, the contact if you need a speaker or one of our other speakers who, who, who I always recommend. Yeah. That's, that's the best resource. Awesome. And what are you most excited about right now? Because you're just doing so many things. The amount of work that it's going to require to build this thing, that what it can be. And, you know, my, my partner, Andy stuff, I called him. I'm like, Hey man, we've got so much, we've got so much opportunity. We got to go hard. And he approaches things with a little more, again, moderation, but I'm excited that I've got something to work on and I feel fortunate and blessed. I mean, I've worked my ass off to get to this point, but there's opportunity and I'm going to do what's never necessary to seize that opportunity and continue to work hard. And the fact that I have that opportunity, I consider myself grateful. Awesome. Well, that's perfect because the last question that I ask every single guest on this show, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? Oh, there's so much. You know, I hate to, to say prioritize one thing over the other, but I'm just grateful for everyone that's been in my life who's touched me from, you know, a guy who jumps on a grenade, a brother in arms who jumps on a grenade three feet from me to save my life and give his life in exchange for that to my kids, to my wife, to you, to, to everyone I've had the pleasure of sharing just a moment with in a positive way, whether it's one minute or a couple decades. So I am who I said earlier, I am who I am because of everyone who's touched me and who I've touched and learned from. Awesome. Well, I love that so much. And this was just so wonderful. It was so nice to finally meet you. Like I was saying at the beginning, I, I feel like I already know you from just the past few months and watching all of your stuff and the brief conversations we have had. So thank you so, so much. I cannot thank you enough for all that you are doing for our world. And I will eagerly follow all of your work. I'll be sharing it with the, the listeners and hopefully we can meet sometime if I'm ever in Austin or if you're in Atlanta, have to meet. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Well, have a good rest of your day. Melanie, thank you so much. Anything you need, let me know. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember... You got this.